0: Uh, there's this big misconception in church that everyone thinks I know what's going on, and I don't. And um, I knew that Bernard was leading worship, and normally what I do when I see the Order of Service is just check my bits, and then I circle them, Ian, Ian, Ian. And um, all I read on the Order of Service, he sent it out very early in the week, um, was reading Bernard, so I didn't even look what the reading was. Um, but then went... Pardon? It wasn't on there then. Oh, wasn't it? Oh, well, there you go, it wasn't even on there then. I've just fessed up to saying I didn't need to confess to. <laughs> But the verse was what Bernard, I smiled, because I love it when God does this, and often between a preacher and a worship leader, you do speak, and we, do, we did have communication, but not on the, all the little details. And that verse that Bernard read at the beginning, uh, as he said, the most often quoted verse in the Bible, um, John 3, 16, is, the, is my first verse that I had written down. And I didn't know he was going to say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's got to be a word for us, isn't it? When things like that happen, and Andrew I didn't know she was going to read from Isaiah 53, the great prophecy um, about Jesus starts halfway through Isaiah 52, doesn't it? And it goes into 53. And and now this verse. For God so loved the world. And I need us to grasp that before we approach communion. He didn't just love the church. He didn't just love his believers. He didn't just love those who follow him. He so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so if you can think of the worst person in the world, you can possibly think of um, you know, dictators, uh, all sorts of people, uh, uh, evil people, we would say, God loves them, and that's a reality of grace. It's hard for us to take in. But for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. How deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch as me and you. uh, uh, Paul the Apostle calls himself the chief of sinners, doesn't he? And he asks, who's going to rescue him from this body of death? And he says, thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. And he goes on in Romans 8, there's no condemnation now for those in Christ Jesus, uh, which I'll come back to, which is the other part of the verse that Bernard read, and God is good. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin, my sin, my sin, your sin upon his shoulders, it was my sin that held him there. The thought of that, the thought of the things that I do wrong, Jesus paid for, but it really was quite violent and it was very costly. And a father lost his son. They were, for the first time forever, for, for eternity, was, there was separation because he had to take my sin and your sin. So she would never come to this table lightly. It was my sin that held him there. His dying breath has brought me life when he, he's on the cross and he said, It's finished. It is finished. I could tell you lots of stories this past week where I've done good things, um, but I could tell you probably many more where probably the thoughts haven't been right or my attitude hasn't been right, and you can feel condemned. Uh, but you go back and, uh, to God, and the difference, I've said it before, between religion and faith, something I've picked up somewhere. Religion is, I've done something wrong, I need to hide from my father, and faith is, I've done something wrong, I need to go and speak to my father. And so I went and spoke to him and I confessed and I'm set free and ready to serve him the next day. I don't get things uh, perfect. I feel I let myself down sometimes. Other times I think I've done all right. But it's just a reality of life, isn't it? By the grace of God, we will carry on, is what we sang. And sometimes, for me and for you, that's just about it. You hang on because it's by the grace of God we can carry on. And the fact is... It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. This whole meal is centred uh, around Jesus and what he's done for us. And so there we can't boast in anything we do. I will not boast in anything, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. And Paul echoes uh, this in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. What is the gospel? Good news. It means that in my brokenness I'm a broken human being. And I need fixing. And Jesus promises to come and set me free from the brokenness and to set me on that journey of new life, which is always ongoing for until I meet him in eternity. I'm not perfect and nor are you. And the theological terms are that once we accept Jesus into our life and we ask for forgiveness and we accept that he takes my stuff and puts it on himself and on the cross and deals with it, then I am sanctified. But equally, you go on being sanctified. It's not... It's finished. The sin is paid for, but we're to go on changing, becoming more like him. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. And that's a reality. So my only response is to live for him, because he died for me. He died that I might have life. It's easy to neglect. And next week, millions all over the world remember all the sacrifice by people who laid down their lives for others. And Jesus gave his life for the world, not just a set few people that are involved in wars. There is a huge spiritual war, you heard on the, on the uh, video, because there is one that doesn't want people to come to know Christ. And he's against us, he's against this church, he is against you as a Christian. But Jesus gave his life for the world. And at communion, we remember his words Do this in remembrance of me. Maybe he thought we'd forget. When I was up in Stock, uh, we used to have the Remembrance Sunday. And they shut the road, and um, uh, it was a really moving service. And, and there, unlike here, uh, the British Legion used to invite the three ministers back for some sherry. Uh, it was very pleasant. abundant of the perks of the job. And uh, went in the scout hut, and we said, you know, I don't drink sherry. But, you know, you felt obliged to. Um, <laughs> so two hours later, I'd go home for dinner. Um, no. Um, But apparently there's all different colours in sherry, I don't really know, but I I sipped it and I don't really like it, but anyway, it meant the world to these fellas that the minister could even take the time uh, to stand with them, and they were really good people. And one of them, and actually to to my shame, I don't know if he's still alive or not, because he would really hobble and be so proud in this this walk along uh, Stock High Street. He said to me over this glass of sherry, how long? do I keep doing this for you and why are people really worried and I said well, there's about a thousand people out there Yeah, you know, I think I think there are they're coming they're turning up I do think they care but what about this holy moment what about this holy moment what about our holy God do people really care are people flippant is the church flippant what about Christianity people say thankfully And <laughs> a dying battle Uh, These are my non-Christian friends, not the people in the church, thankfully. Um, um, Isn't it on the wane? Isn't it outdated? Isn't he a myth? I'm going to tell you a fact now. I don't know if you know this or not. The global church is growing faster now than at any time since Jesus was resurrected. Do you know that? It's growing at the fastest time since Jesus was resurrected. And we need to pray here for the transformation, not only for Billeriki, but for the United Kingdom. And we've got lots of people, all people sent from this church, people going from this church into the workplaces or families or schools or universities uh, or mission partners, everything else. The things that go on here during the week and the other uh, buildings. All for mission and ministry. And because we want to grow the church, because the church is the agent of God's kingdom. So we need to pray for that transformation of our country because it is in a bit of a mess and we should have confidence that it will be okay because the Lord reigns. And on my travels and conversations, I, I pick up on a, a bit of disquiet. All the technology, all the technology, I love technology, I love a gadget, I don't know how to use most of them, um, and I have to ask advice, I'll probably use about 5% of what my iPhone can do. I still have, Someone said to me, oh yeah, you know, it'd be great when your son goes to America, you can Skype, I said, yeah, I've never done it. 've got FaceTime it's easier. Anyway, all the technology has helped, I think, and in my travels talking to people, separate relationship. Hindered conversation because you can hide behind a text or an email or a Facebook message or Skype or, or FaceTime. It can hinder the conversation, and it 's disenfranchising. And it disillusions people, and they forget even how to have a conversation sometimes. And I'm not trying to stereotype but particularly amongst our youngsters. People are connected, but they're not connecting. And I believe that uh, in these conversations that us, as an authentic church, an authentic church around the world, has the answer because we are a people of connectedness. Ten years ago, do you know what they said the biggest threat to the church was going to be? I was reading Christianity Renewal magazine. I tried to find the copy, put it up, but I can't find it. Um, Do you know what they said the, the biggest challenge for the church, the UK church, was going to be? Virtual church. People are just going to do it real time. They'll get on their phone. They don't have to turn up. They can give electronically. And do you know it hasn't taken off? It hasn't taken off. You might have someone who's sick at home who wants to live stream or whatever, and some churches do that, or go on the internet and look at a sermon because they missed a week. But the general coming together, and it doesn't work because otherwise you wouldn't, you'd not have the connectedness. You wouldn't have the feeling of family. You'd still be in isolation, relying on technology to have that connectedness. But God is a God of relationship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as people, we're. Supposed to have relationship, and what the communion table does, and when we remember Jesus, we remember that He says, "Love one another." This is my command. This is how people will know you're my disciples. Mark Sayers is an Australian minister and cultural commentator. He said this, and I thought this was really profound. He's, you can follow him. You can get his uh, uh, what they call it podcast. Uh, I've got to learn how to do that as well. But no, I'll do, do that today. Um, people are looking for authenticity. People are looking for a sense of the sacred. People are looking for an encounter with God. The church can give them relevance. We're getting to a point where people are now overdosing on call. Everything is stylized and has this Instagram hipster aesthetic and people are just getting sick of it. The world is overdosing on digital. I think we're approaching a possible digital recession. People switching off because they're just getting anxious. There's an element where it's fun at the beginning but now it's anxiety inducing. Do you see, we know that as a church, right, with some of our younger folk. So there's an opportunity for the church to reconnect people to community, authenticity and humanness. Revival is just renewal gone viral. And if we want revival, we need personal renewal, which starts with us. Because we have a different message. And the anxiety that's coming across, I mean, I I think he's right. I played golf with people and they were all connected five years ago. Some of them have come off Facebook now. They can't be bothered with Instagram. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying they're getting fed up with it. I don't hardly post anything on Facebook. And I put something up about my dad and Pine Mash earlier in the week because so I just thought it'd be funny. And, um, but I found myself three days later checking off the likes gone up. You know, no one's looking at it now. It can bring anxiety. Titus 2, in my devotions this week, I'm just coming in to finish. I was reading it right uh, towards the beginning. He's talking uh, about uh, Paul's talking about some of the characteristics uh, of a church and and a Christian. You know, having sound doctrine, uh, which we really believe in here, means we've got to preach sometimes things um, that are hard. Uh, To be temperate, to be worthy of respect. This is this sense of renewal that people are looking and saying, "We want to see something new." We're seeing what the world offers. We're seeing all the lies and spin and everything else. We want to see something new. Self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in endurance. Reverent, not slanderous, kind, encouraging. Set an example, do what is good, integrity, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything else comes from where? It comes from the evil one. We should be people of reliability and we should be a different community where people come and say, they're really different. They are really, really different. And this is something the world, I believe, is searching for, and I think the church has the answer. Leslie Newbigin is a commentator as well, and he describes secularism, or he had an observation about secularism. He said, really, secularism, this is his definition. He said, really, secularism is coming against uh, any kind of real belief, faith belief, any authority. And he said, the problem with that is it leaves people, they get to a point, when they're only able to rely on the foundations of God. They have to come back to God, because there's no reality in the world. And the other commentator I mentioned said, if you look at some of the movements recently, Me Too, Brexit, political scandals, the FIFA corruption, whatever you put your hope in, recently environmentalism, there is is a, a sharing of the world's people that desire the world to be a better place than it is now. They really do. They want a better world. And people are looking for a renewal of the world. And Christians, we have the answer. The renewal has to start with us. We have to be able to point them to the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, the church, this body of people, you, are sacred. The church is sacred. It's the body of Christ. That's why there's so much attack on the church. Because it's the body of Christ and Satan will come against it. But he, will, he, won't be to, he won't be able to defeat it because we're the body of Christ. On this rock I will build my church and the gates I will not come against it. You personally are sacred. You've been bought by Christ which we celebrate now. You are being sanctified, changed by God. People are searching, people are looking and they're looking at us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world but to save it. I had that written down as well and that's what Bernard said at the beginning. God did not send his son to condemn the world but to save it. If you're sitting here this morning and you've trusted Christ and you you realise that your wrongdoings are on him and he's taken it to the cross and he's paid for it, you are not condemned. If you're not If you've not done that, then you're not trusted in Christ, and you are condemned. You're going to be left to pay for your own sin. But you don't need to, because God sent his son for the world, and that means for everybody. So next Sunday, there'll be uh, a few thousand people down at the War Memorial, I guess. I'm not sure how many they get. And we'll do that, because it's right to remember a sacrifice. But we say today, and God says to us, do this in remembrance of Of me, And I have to live my life out accordingly. So as we come to this table, we won't come flippantly. And we will remember him. We will remember him because he's the only one. I cannot boast in anything. No gifts, no power, nor wisdom. But I can boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everybody who believes. And people are looking for something new. And I believe, I really believe... If we see, well, I believe we will see revival, but it's going to start with the renewal of us and people will just be attracted to it because it's not working out there. Father, I thank you for your word and we thank you that you invite us to your table. We come because we can, not because of our own strength, but because of what you've done for us. And just in these moments, I pray, Lord, that uh, we just bring uh, the things that we need to bring before you, being assured that you can forgive us, And you will forgive us and we're set free. That there is no condemnation now for those in Christ Jesus. As we take the bread and the wine, we remember it's your body given for us, your blood shed for us. But there is no grave for you. There's nowhere we can go particularly. We can be with you everywhere because you are everywhere. Because you died but you rose again. The grave could not hold you. So in these moments we offer up our prayers to you.